Well, hey there, friends. Thanks for showing up to the big finale. Season one is in the books. Hope you weren't expecting fireworks or anything. We can blast a few rounds off later if you want. Oh, I don't want to hear it, Chester. Not after what you did last week. You're lucky I don't cook your ass for dinner. Oh, really? That right? Well, smartass, how about gator parmesan? Gator bolognese? Gator fricassee? Creamy herb-stuffed gator? Butter-baked gator? Gator marsala? Gator cordon bleu? Gator tots? Don't forget about gator tots! Scaly prick. Man, neighbors are still pissed off about Fluffy. Come on inside. Mm. That's better. You know, I was thinking of turning over a new leaf for season two. I'm sure there's some leaf I could turn over if I wanted to. Who came up with that expression anyway? You guys got any ideas? Drop a suggestion in the comment section. But for now, smoke them if you've got them and drink those glasses to the bottom. Cause old Drew Blood has a tale to tell. I'm not that old, really. Maybe I should stop saying that. You're listening to Season 1, Episode 30 of Drew Blood, Dark Tales. You're listening to the standard edition of this program. To show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of this and all our other episodes, as well as hundreds of tales from our audio archives dating back to 2012, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today and get instant access from our friends at Chillin' Tales for Dark Nights. Thank you for your support. Oh yeah, and we are accepting submissions. If you've got a story or two you'd like to be featured on this show, send it to drewbloodhorror at gmail.com. If selected, you'll get the full treatment. And we're off. Alright, tonight we've got a submission from W.B. Stickle, whose protagonist has found himself in a pickle. Maybe that's what we'll do for season two. Annoy the authors with limericks. Ah, forget it. Without further delay, I give you... From author W.B. Stickle, The Capsule. The pothole appeared out of nowhere. Son of a bitch! Miles Freeman uttered, swerving to miss it. The RAV4's right tire strafed the hole's edge, but managed to avoid plunging into it. Whoa! His 12-year-old son, Brandon, said from the back seat. Close one. Easing the SUV back into its lane. Miles glanced in the rear view and met his son's gaze. The boy's bleary eyes swam in their sockets, a result Miles knew of the pain meds the ER staff had pumped into him. Sorry about that, bud. This road isn't the greatest. It's okay, Dad. It's Syracuse. That it is, Miles agreed. City of salt and potholes. How's the leg? Brandon glanced down at his heavily bandaged thigh. Achy. How many stitches did I get again? Eight, which you took like a champ. Think I'll have a scar? Probably. The boy grinned dopily. Battle trophy. Miles reached back and touched the boy's hand. Hey, I want to talk about what happened. In more detail than what you told the doctors, I mean. Brandon shrugged. Okie dokie, doggy daddy. Miles smirked at that one. 
One of his favorite lines from True Romance, that badass Christian Slater flick from the early 90s. The boy had never actually seen the movie. No, the violence was too excessive for a child. He had simply heard Miles say it once and thereafter adopted it for himself. All right, knucklehead. Shut your eyes for me and think back to this morning, when you got the ouchie in your leg. Brendan closed his eyes. Is there shut? Now concentrate hard and describe what happened. Well, Brendan said, I was grabbing branches for the trail and I saw a nice big one in the area that doesn't have any trees. Something tripped me as I went to grab it and I fell over. And my leg went right into that metal thingy. Miles nodded. They had been in the woods bordering their backyard working on their big summer project, clearing a system of trails in the underbrush. Brandon had been out hunting for branches with which to line the trail while Miles busied himself trimming the path with hedge clippers. After a time, Brandon had wandered out of sight and into a nearby clearing. Next, Miles knew the boy was screaming bloody murder. Miles found him sitting on a log, hand pressed hard against his thigh, applying pressure to the wound, just as Miles had taught him. This metal thingy, Miles said, it was sticking up out of the ground, right? Right. I know you told the doctor you couldn't remember, but think hard for me. Was it smooth or rough? Brendan shook his head. Don't know. It was real fast. Miles pursed his lips. The ER doc that had treated Brandon couldn't say one way or the other either. What she could say for certain was that it had been rusty, given the tiny rust flakes she found while abrading the wound. No worries, Miles said. So the thing poked you. What happened next? Did you push yourself off it and fall on your butt? Brandon cocked his head like a dog keying into an interesting noise. No, there was a breaking sound, a snap, and I fell down. There was a piece of it sticking out of my leg. I yanked it out and dropped it. That was new information. A snapping sound? You think you broke it off something? Brandon opened his eyes. Uh-huh. Just remembered. After... It hurt real bad and was bleeding, so I did like you showed me to make it stop. I'm real proud of you for that, too, Miles said. Quick thinking. It occurred to Miles then how fortunate they were the object had merely pierced the boy's leg versus his belly or chest, or God forbid, his head. The very thought made Miles queasy. He truly couldn't fathom an existence without Brandon. It was hard enough losing the boy's mother in childbirth. If he ever lost Brandon, too, he didn't know what he would do. No, that was a lie. He knew exactly what he would do, and it involved the Mossberg 500 shotgun tucked away in his closet. Miles blinked and ran a hand through his curly mane, which some people said made him resemble a taller Patrick Dempsey. You hungry for lunch yet? Sure, Brandon said. Peter Palace. Brandon's eyebrows arched. Mediterranean was his favorite. Oh, yeah. Gyros. Poor for four. All right, pal. Gyros it is. By the time they finished chowing down at home, Brandon was in tears again from the pain. Miles gave him a hydrocodone, as prescribed by the ER, and got him set up on the living room sofa. Xbox or Oculus? Miles asked. Xbox. Minecraft Retro. Shocker. But that's okay. You deserve it. Do all the mining and crafting you want today. 
Miles handed the boy his game controller. If you're okay for a bit, I need to go out back and look around for whatever poked you. Make sure it's safe. Coozies, Brandon said, turning his attention to the living room's 55-inch TV. Before heading out, Miles hurried down to the basement and retrieved their walkie-talkie set from the workroom. Here, he said as he returned to the living room. He placed one of the handsets on the end table next to the sofa. If you need anything, use this to reach me. You remember how to use it? Push to talk? That's right. Miles tussled the boy's hair and headed for the back door. During his youth, Miles had spent a lot of time outdoors. His own father had been an avid outdoorsman and took care to instill his spirit of adventure in Miles. Miles had wanted to do the same for Brandon, but the kid preferred exploring the wondrous landscapes of his imagination over those in the real world. If it wasn't written in one of his books or coded into one of his video games, he just wasn't interested. Fortunately, that all changed the previous summer after Brandon finished reading The Wild Folk by Sylvia Linstead. They had been on the back deck at the time, letting their dinners digest while gazing at the woods that lay beyond their property line. Dad? Brandon had said. I want to go into the woods, make a trail through the trees. I think I belong out there. Miles had been so happy he nearly cried. Absolutely, he had said, and thus the big summer project was born. Smiling at the memory, Miles stepped onto the back deck and shut the door behind them. The afternoon greeted him with a sweltering embrace. Good Christ, he said, checking the weather stats on his phone. 92 degrees, it said, with 40% humidity. Already beginning to sweat, he wiped his face and vaulted off the deck into the backyard. It was marginally cooler once he reached the trailhead, as the woods canopy provided a ton of shade. But the air was still stifling as hell. Wondering if he hadn't somehow been magically transported to Mississippi, he followed the path as it zigged and zagged its way through the dense cluster of oaks and pines that imbued his little swath of central New York. At the trail's terminus, Miles discovered the hedge clippers he had dropped when Brandon had cried out. Right, he said, holding them up in front of him. He couldn't say why, but in that moment, he found their slender blades rather comforting. Comforting, he thought, unsure where the notion had come from. Did he think some sort of threat existed amongst all the fern, ivy, and honeysuckle? Like a rabbit fox or killer rabbits? Sure, Miles said. Why not killer bunnies? I hear they're all the rage this season. Having a watership down moment, are we? A voice inquired behind them. Startled, Miles whipped around in a panic and readied the hedge clippers for combat. Easy there, said Jacob Winslow, Miles' next door neighbor. He raised his hands like a cornered bank robber. I come in peace. Jesus Christ, Miles snarled, lowering the clippers. Where the fuck did you come from? Jacob dropped his hands. Sorry, dude. I thought you heard me approach. Miles glowered down at his pale, red-haired neighbor, who stood a foot shorter than him. I didn't hear shit. Not sure what to tell you, amigo, the man said. I wasn't being particularly stealthy. Miles drew in a deep breath and let it out slowly. Fine, whatever. Is there something I can help you with? Oh, Jacob said. I, uh, heard about what happened to your boy. Ted from across the street filled me in and figured I'd see if you needed a hand with anything. 
You didn't answer your doorbell, so I peeked out back and saw you heading into the woods. Miles squinted at the man. On top of being the prying snoop with little respect for other people's boundaries, Jacob Winslow was bar none the least neighborly neighbor Miles had ever met, especially when it came to helping out with anything. If it wasn't his bad back or ulcer acting up again, he always seemed to have errands to run or relatives to visit. Conversely, the little shit had no issue asking for anyone else's help. Yet here he was now offering his assistance. It was strange to say the least. Even stranger, though, was the fact that Jacob knew anything at all about Brandon's injury. Other than the hospital staff, Miles hadn't shared what had happened with anyone. Ted? Miles asked. And what did he say? Not much. Just that your boy landed in the ER with an injured leg. And that he was home now, doing okay. The shorter man observed the consternation on Miles' face. Oh, Ted only knows because of Gina. Gina, Miles echoed. Right. Ted's wife, Gina, worked as a nurse at the Galasano Children's Hospital. He hadn't seen her during their visit, but he supposed she could have seen Brandon's name on the patient register and decided to check his file. Miles studied his neighbor for a length, thinking, then revisited the man's offer to help. Well, he said, redirecting his attention to the clearing. If the offer to lend a hand is serious, I was about to search for whatever jabbed Brandon in the thigh. I only have a vague sense of where it occurred. I was busy whacking away at the weeds where we were standing when he cried out. I found him sitting in the clearing over there. Jacob nodded. Not to be a nosy Nelly, but why were you gents out here in the first place? Miles told him about the summer project. Gotcha. And you want to make sure the pokey bit isn't still a problem? Bingo. Jacob considered their surrounding and glanced down at his own attire, which consisted of a Budweiser t-shirt, cargo shorts, and a pair of flip-flops. I'm clearly not dressed for the occasion. Nope, Miles said. The poison oak and ivy out here will fuck you up. Far enough. I'll be right back, Jacob replied, ambling back towards his house. He returned minutes later, garbed in a blue long-sleeved shirt, jeans, boots, work gloves, and a fitted Yankees cap. That's better. Let's just pray I don't die from heat exhaustion. Fresh rivulets of sweat ran down Miles' back. You and me both. Ready to get started? Let's do it. Five minutes into their scouring, Jacob came across a bulky wasp nest forged in the crook of a dead sugar maple. Check this out. Miles stayed where he was. He wanted no part of the dozen or so wasps buzzing about the nest. Industrious sons of bitches, huh? Jacob grunted. Huh. They've set up shop in a couple spots around my house. I'm going to hit up Home Depot for some supplies and go on a killing spree. You don't use an exterminator? Miles asked. No. More satisfying to handle it myself. If you say so. Me? I like not being stung. We all get stung sooner or later, Jacob said. That's life. Miles shuffled away from the busy nest. I suppose. Luckily, I've never been allergic. The sound of his own words resonated queerly in his head, and for an instant, he was bombarded by a flurry of images. A beehive in an old barn, a curious child with a stick, a barking dog, angry bees swarming the child, slapping and whimpering silent in stillness. 
the child's bloated head and dead eyes. Hey, Jacob interjected. You all right? Miles glanced at the man. What? No, yeah. It's... Just then, his foot landed on a thin cylindrical object which rolled with his stepping motion. Shit! He blurted out, stumbling backwards. By some miracle, he managed to keep his footing. Jacob chuckled. <laughs> Man, gravity's a bit sometimes, huh? <laughs> Miles squatted down and searched the brush for whatever he had stepped on. The object was hidden within a clump of honeysuckle. He extracted it and lifted it into plain view. It was maybe a foot long, all rust, one end badly corroded, the other dappled with ants feeding on a darkened substance. Jacob frowned. Is that a piece of rebar? Miles turned it over in his hand. Looks like it. Is that what got your boy? I think so, Miles said. I would have looked for it before going to the hospital, but I was more concerned with stopping the bleeding. Jacob's frown deepened. He glanced around. What the fuck would that even be doing out here? That's the $25,000 question, isn't it? Miles said. I think it was sticking out of the ground. At an angle, maybe. Brandon went to pick up a branch, stumbled, and landed on it. I'm guessing his weight was enough to snap it where it's decayed. He stooped over and began rummaging through the surrounding brush. Hang on. It's gotta be here somewhere. What does? Asked Jacob. Ah, there we are. Miles switched from rummaging to pulling away large tufts of honeysuckle. A half dozen pulls later, he stopped and moved aside. Look! Jacob looked. At the center of the now bare honeysuckle patch stood a rather guilty-looking nub of rusted metal. Well, that opens up a whole other can of worms, doesn't it? Sure does, Miles said. First in my mind is, how far into the ground does it go? He reached down, gripped the nub tightly, and attempted to move it back and forth. It moved a quarter of an inch in either direction, but that was all. Miles clamped his other hand on the thing and tried again, achieving the same result. <sighs> Looks like it's in there pretty deep. Which means it probably didn't fall from something tall, Jacob deduced, looking up. Though I'm not sure what that thing would be. Me neither, Miles said. From what I understand, this whole area wasn't developed until the Renfrew Company purchased it some 30 years ago. Before that, it was all just wild land. Then what the fuck? Miles planted his hands on his hips. To tell you the truth, I don't really care about the why of it right now. Jacob removed his Yankees cap and wiped his brow. His short red hair looked like orange fire in the bright sunlight. You want to know if more of these things exist? Yep, Miles said. Once I have that answered, I'll move on to how deep they go, then try to solve the why. Roger that, amigo. Miles examined the clearing. If you're still up for it, want to help me look? Jacob flipped his cap back onto his head. I'm already sweaty, and I don't have shit to do until tonight. I say let's keep the good times rolling. Miles nodded, and they set to it. Later, after a long hot shower, Miles shuffled into the living room and plopped down on the sofa next to Brandon. What you up to, compadre? Brandon pointed at the TV screen. On it, Jake the dog and Finn the human were battling the Ice King, who once again kidnapped Princess Bubblegum. Adventure time, huh? Miles said. 
where the fun will never end. Gotta love the classics. Miles eyed the boy's leg. How you doing? Brandon ran his index finger over the bandages. Bad biscuits. Interpreting that as a negative response, Miles got him another pill and a glass of water. Sorry, bud. That should kick in soon enough. In the meantime, want to hear something crazy? Brandon lit up at that. Always. So, you know the spiky thing that poked you in the thigh? Mm, no. Doesn't ring a bell. Funny, Miles said. Well, I actually found it in the woods. Looks to be a piece of rebar. A steel rod they put in concrete to help make it stronger. Anyhow, in addition to the piece that got you, I found the bit it broke off from. I tried to pull that bit out of the ground, but couldn't. It's in there deep. Brandon giggled at something Jake had just yelled at Finn. Miles waited until the episode ended, then shut the TV off. Hey, Brandon said. I want to keep watching. You can, Miles assured him. I just want to discuss something first without any distractions. Brandon simpered but didn't protest. Good, Miles said. So listen, along with the rebar that hurt you, guess what I found? Princess Bubblegum? No. Five other pieces of rebar sticking up out of the ground. Brandon's face bunched up. Six rebar thingies? Yeah, in that clearing, hidden by bushes and tall grass. Weird. Why are they there? No clue, but I think they're connected to something underground. Underground? Like what? Again, no clue, but I'm going to find out. Miles sighed and sank back into the couch. After a few days rest, though, your dad isn't the spring chicken he used to be. He thought of the upcoming work week at his accountant firm, which looked to be a hellish one. Next weekend, most likely. Awesome, Brandon said, eyes returning to the TV. Can I watch more Finn and Jake now? Miles powered on the device and handed the boy the remote. Sure, bud. Sure. The following Friday night, Miles and Brandon decided to have a pizza and movie night. Brandon suggested Cloudy with a chance of meatballs as the main feature, so Miles ordered a couple of meatball pies. Early the next morning, Brandon crept into bed with Miles, claiming he had had a really bad dream. Miles asked if he remembered what it was about. Yes, Brandon said. A bad man trapped me in the basement and stuck a spear into my belly. I was screaming for you the whole time. Miles held him tight and together they fell back asleep, rising again around 10.30. After breakfast, Miles got the boy started on his math homework and ensured both of their walkie-talkies were good to go. Working on the trail some more? Brandon inquired. Sort of, Miles said. Like I said last night, I need to figure out what all the rebar connects to. I want to go with you and help. My leg feels a lot better. I know, and I love our team-ups, but the doctor prescribed two weeks rest with minimal walking. You can help by resting, and we'll see where we're at in a week. Brandon sighed. <sighs> Fine. Miles gave the boy a walkie-talkie. Same channel as before. I'll be back in a while. The temperature outside was cooler than it had been of late, mid-80s with a decent breeze. I'll take it, Miles said to the universe. From the shed, he gathered a bag of tools, shovel, spade, pickaxe, sledgehammer, and hauled it to the clearing. His plan was to start at the foremost rebar time, the one that had injured Brandon. 
dig down until he uncovered its origin, then move on to the others. Here goes nothing, he said, and commenced digging. The shovel made quick work of the surprisingly pliable earth seated around the rebar. It was looser than he expected and came up easier than store-bought potting soil. About two feet down, the shovel's blade struck something hard and metallic, and seemingly hollow. What the shit? He cleared away ten more shovelfuls of the loose stuff and set the shovel aside. From the hole, a jagged square foot of blue-gray metal stared up at him. The rebar tine he saw was welded to the metal surface. Baffled, Miles tapped the surface with the heel of his boot and listened as it issued a dull reverberation. Definitely hollow, he said. He wondered if it could have been an old oil or septic tank for some home that had once stood in the clearing. If so, it must have been one whopper of a place because oil and septic tanks weren't typically as big as this structure seemed to be. As to why it had rebar tines sticking out of it, no rational explanation came to mind. After radioing Brandon to see if he was okay, Miles moved on to the remaining pieces of rebar. The result was the same at each, rusty blue-gray metal and the welding joint keeping the rebar in place. He looked for words printed on the metal surface but found none. Unsure what to think, Miles retreated to the unfinished pathway and enjoyed a well-earned break in the shade. As he did, he decided to unearth the whole top portion of the damp structure, see if he could locate any markings. He just wasn't sure he wanted to do all that today or wait until tomorrow. He was on the verge of calling it quits when Jacob came ambling up the trail, shovel in hand. Howdy, neighbor. Back at it again, I see. Need a hand? Miles noticed the man was decked out in a flannel shirt, jeans, gloves, a hat, and boots. Um, sure. Looks like you came to party. Jacob chuckled. <laughs> Just got back from visiting family in Utica and could stand to blow off some steam. He reached the clearing and appraised Miles' handiwork. You've been busy. Miles filled him in on his theory about the oil-slash-septic tank. No shit, Jacob said, kicking the metal surface with one of his steel-toed boots. The sound of it reverberating made him grin. The mystery literally deepens. What's the plan? I was thinking I'd dig out the areas between the rebar and check for markings. Jacob moved to the furthest hole and readied his shovel. Cali-fucking-ho, he said and drove the shovel's blade into the ground. At quarter after four, Miles stopped digging and peered down at his boot. His shovel had just struck something about half a foot down. That's different, he said. What's that? Jacob queried. Miles levered his shovel 90 degrees, prying loose a hefty chunk of earth. Unsure. Come help me real fast. He tossed a chunk aside and repeated the process. Jacob joined them and together they swiftly uncovered the irregularity. Jesus, Jacob said, staring at it. Is that what I think it is? Yeah, said Miles. It's a fucking hatch door. It certainly looked apart. Circular, three foot in diameter, robust hinge, full-on handwheel, like something off the International Space Station. Jacob fiddled with an object attached to the hatch's lower curve. 
He brushed dirt off it and held it in his palm. It was a padlock, a large and new-looking one at that. Seems like someone doesn't want us accessing the Red October here, Jacob said. I have a badass set of bolt cutters in the shed, Miles offered. Terrific. Let's get that bad boy and see what's inside this thing. Miles peered at the padlock. Why did it look so new when everything else seemed so rusty and old? I think we're going to have to save that for tomorrow morning. I'm losing steam. I want to finish digging out the top pot and then go hang out with Brandon. Saying the boy's name elicited an unexpected swell of emotion and anxiety. Got more restraint than I do, Jacob said, resuming his shoveling. But that's cool. Adds to the mystique of it. Just make sure you come get me before you shear that sucker off. I'm dying to know what's in there. Miles transferred his gaze to the hand wheel. Me too, he lied. He couldn't pinpoint why, but the prospect of discovering what lay within the buried structure suddenly filled him with dread. Something bad was in there. He was sure of it. Something to do with Brandon. He tried to shake the awful notion from his mind, but it refused to go. Distraught, he plunged his shovel's blade into the ground and extracted a large clot of dirt. As he cast it into the clearing, the first wave of mosquitoes arrived, targeting their faces and necks. They both applied more DEET and did their best to finish as soon as possible. As thanks for all his help, Miles invited Jacob to dinner. Jacob graciously accepted. After a hasty shower at his house, he came over with a six-pack of Miller Lite in one hand and a two-liter of Coke in the other. In no mood to cook, Miles grub-hubbed a pile of KFC and they happily chowed down on the colonel's famous recipe. While they ate, Jacob filled Brandon in on the hat situation and its stalwart padlock. The boy was utterly fascinated by the revelation, so much so that he abandoned his meal and began limping around the living room like an agitated dog. Why's it there? He burbled as he limped. Why's it locked? What's inside? Treasure? Monsters? And why's the lock new? And who put it there? And so on and so forth. When several minutes later, Miles finally intervened, he didn't bother using any of his gentle tactics. He went right to the nuclear option. Brandon, return to the dinner table right now, or I'm taking your screen time away for an entire week. As he suspected it would, the ultimatum did the trick. Brandon stopped mid-burble, processed the cost of not obeying, and promptly returned to his chicken and mashed potatoes. Don't fret, kid, Jacob told him. That's the stuff we've been asking ourselves. Me, personally, I'm betting on treasure, like in the Goonies. Brandon smiled at that. I like that one. He switched his gaze to Miles. Can I be there when you open it up tomorrow? My leg's doing okay. Miles considered it as he sampled a drumstick. His gut, which still churned with echoes of the dread he had felt at the clearing, told him to keep the boy away from the hatch. His rational brain, however, told him to quit indulging irrational impulses and let the boy participate. It was just a stupid hatch, for God's sake. Okay, Miles said. But no funny business. I say, and you do. Got it? Monkey here, monkey do, Brandon confirmed. That settles it, Jacob announced. 
We're all going. Brendan clapped his hands. We're all going. Brendan had already brushed his teeth and gotten dressed when he came tugging on Miles' comforter at quarter after eight. Dad, Dad, he said excitedly, like it was Christmas morning. Wake up so we can open the hatch. Squinting at his alarm clock, Miles told the boy to go back to bed. For an hour at least. Two is better. No way, Jose, Brendan said, dancing around the bed like a maniac. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Knowing the boy wouldn't be dissuaded, Miles sat up and swallowed his annoyance. Okay, you win. I'm up. Now go fix me a cup of coffee before I eat you. Once he was showered and had a cup of coffee in him, Miles texted Jacob to see if he was awake. Jacob responded immediately, claiming he had been up since six and was raring to go. They met out front ten minutes later and adjourned to the shed, where they procured a sledgehammer and Miles' heavy-duty bolt cutters. Yeah, Jacob said, admiring the cutters. These should work just fine. During the short jaunt out to the clearing, Miles marveled at how well Brandon's leg was holding up. He was barely limping and didn't seem to be in much pain. How's it feeling? He asked. Brandon gave him a thumbs up. No problem. Todo es bueno. All right, tough guy, Miles said. Let me know if anything changes. When they reached a clearing, Brandon scampered over to the hatch and grabbed the hand wheel. Wow, Dad, this is so cool. What if it's like a submarine or something? Then we're all going to be famous, kid, Jacob replied. He brought the bolt cutters to the hatch and looked back at Miles. Want to do the honors, or shall I? Miles motioned for Jacob to go ahead. The man beamed like an idiot and set the cutters on the locked shackle. One, two, three, he said and clamped down hard. The cutters bit through the metal with ease, producing a loud, satisfying kink. A disoriented sense of deja vu came over Miles as he watched this unfold. He was sure he had seen something like this happen before, sometime in the past. Only it wasn't a lock that had been cut. It was a finger. His stomach churned with disgust and trepidation. He retreated a few steps, clutched his belly. He didn't want to see what came next. He didn't want to see what lay inside the tank. He wanted instead to run from this place, grab Brandon, and drive far, far away. You okay, Dad? Brandon said. Miles blinked at the boy. Huh? No, no. Tommy's upset, that's all. Todo es bueno. Jacob rattled the lock, turning it this way and that until it finally gave way. Voila! He said with glee, wrenching it off and chucking it into the underbrush. He turned to Brandon. You're up, champ. See if you can turn it. Brandon smiled and approached the hand wheel. Righty tidy, lefty Lucy. You got it, Jacob said. Brandon grabbed the wheel with both hands and tried to turn it. It didn't budge. He tried three more times without any luck. <laughs> I'm not strong enough. Jacob moved in to help him. Here. Grab it again. I'll grab two, and maybe the two of us can turn it. They each gripped it tight and tried to turn. This time it turned, slowly at first. Then it spun with no issue. 
Jacob let Brandon finish turning it all the way. Once it stopped spinning, Jacob took over and pulled the hatch door completely open. Good job, kid, Jacob said, gently setting the hand wheel against the metallic structure's rusty surface. Let me just have a peek, then you can look. He dipped his face into the open porthole, but promptly withdrew it. Way too dark down there. Good thing I brought this. He fished a small tactical flashlight out of his pocket, flicked it on, and had another look. His head remained in the porthole for well over a minute. What do you see? Brandon inquired. Jacob pulled his head back out, his face ashen and somber. Brandon tried to have a look for himself, but Jacob stopped him. Sorry, kiddo. No can do. His eyes found Miles. It's on your property, boss. You need to see. Stomach churning even harder, Miles reluctantly advanced to the porthole's edge, grabbed Jacob's flashlight, and stuck his head inside. The flashlight revealed a puzzling and terrible sight. There were six rebar spikes, each about four feet tall, jutting up from the structure's bottom. Impaled on five of these spikes were five small corpses in various states of decay. The corpses of children, Miles realized. Tasting bile on his tongue, he yanked his head out of the porthole, dropped the flashlight, and stumbled backwards. After a few clumsy paces, he felt someone catch his arm. Jacob. Easy there, the man said. Easy. Be strong for the boy. Miles glanced at his son, who stood near the hatch, staring at it uncertainly. We have to call the cops, Jacob whispered, but I didn't bring myself. Miles collected himself and patted his own pockets. They were empty. He'd left his phone on the kitchen counter. Shit, me too. Keep an eye on Brandon for a minute. I'll be right back. So saying, he bounded across the clearing towards the trail. Will do, Jacob assured him. Back through the trees and into his backyard, he sailed. Reaching his deck, he burst through the back door into the kitchen. The phone was there on the counter. He dialed 911, reported what they had found, and gave the responder his address. After killing the call, he scrabbled his way back to the clearing. About halfway to the woods, he heard Jacob cry out, Brandon, no! Stay out of there! Oh, God! The panic in his neighbor's voice sent a jolt of adrenaline through Miles' extremities, compelling him to sprint as fast as he could. He reached the clearing in seconds and found Jacob leaning over the hatch's portal. Jesus, kid, the man murmured. Why'd you do that? What's happened? Miles yelled, snatching the flashlight from the ground and shoving Jacob out of the way. Brandon, where are you, pal? Answer me! After thrusting his head inside the porthole, it took a few moments for his brain to comprehend what he was looking at. His son impaled through the heart on one of the rebar spikes, the one that hadn't previously held a corpse. The boy was facing upwards as if he had somehow twisted as he fell, which didn't make any sense. His eyes were open, but devoid of life. Miles gasped. The world seemed to spin on its axis. He lurched backwards, falling onto his butt. Jacob stood over him, 
grimacing. No, not grimacing, grinning. Why the hell was he grinning? It was quick, man, his neighbor said. Way too quick. A rush of vomit shot up Miles' throat. He ejected in the grass next to him. The full weight of what had just happened struck him like a hammer to the chest. He'd lost the only thing he loved, his boy, whom he had cared for since the moment he was born. His child, who meant more to him than anything could possibly mean to anybody. His heart and soul. <laughs> My Brandon, Miles whispered. Somewhere in the distance, a bird screeched. The sound cut through the noise in his head, giving him a horrid sense of clarity. He clambered to his feet and trundled drunkenly back towards his house. Where are you going, Miles? Jacob shouted after him. We got some tidying up to do. Barely registering the man's words, Miles retraced his steps to the house, tramped up to his bedroom, and grabbed his 12-gauge from its hiding spot in the closet. The all-consuming anguish he felt was too much to bear. He had to do something about it. He had to end it. He checked to make sure the gun was loaded and returned once more to the clearing where Jacob stood waiting for him, shovel in hand. We better get digging, his neighbor said. Miles cocked the shotgun and aimed it at the man. The fuck is wrong with you? My son is dead. Rookie move, I know. Try to stick him through the belly, make it last longer so you could watch too. But I whiffed it, straight through the heart, dead in seconds. Before he could help it, Miles pulled the trigger and blew his neighbor's head in half. Jacob's body collapsed in a bloody heap. Oddly, he felt next to nothing about what he just did. His colossal grief seemed to drown out everything else. Letting it, Miles meandered to the hatch's portal and gazed down at his lifeless son. With the lack of light, he could barely see the boy's face, though he saw enough to discern his own failure as a father and as a human being. Sorry, buddy, he cried, putting the shotgun's barrel under his chin. Don't worry. I'm going with you. He pulled the trigger, but nothing happened. Just a click with no bang. He pulled the trigger three more times with no effect. All right, Miles, he heard a voice say. That's good enough. The voice seemed to come from everywhere rather than any specific direction. We can terminate now. The entire scene around him seemed to undulate then, and Miles felt a fiery tickling sensation ripple across his skull. He shut his eyes involuntarily, and everything went black. When he tried to reopen them, the blackness remained. Don't fight it, the voice said. A few more seconds and you'll be back. A short eternity passed, and sure enough, things started to return. To his dismay, he found that he was no longer in the clearing, but in what appeared to be a small hospital room. Seated on a light blue vinyl chair, the kind he associated with chemo patients receiving their life-prolonging poison. His clothes had been replaced with a hospital gown, and he noticed an IV had been inserted into his left arm. <sighs> what? He groaned. 
two large men in hospital scrubs appeared at his sides. One of them removed what felt like a helmet from his head while the other slipped a sleep mask over his eyes. Gentlemen, the voice said, please escort Mr. Freeman to recovery room two. One of the men did something to Miles's chair, and all at once he was moving. Following a jarring series of lefts and rights, his chair came to an abrupt halt. Soft fingers removed the mask from his eyes, and he watched as the two men exited his new room, a slender whitewashed chamber with no furnishings. Okay, a different voice said when the speaker mounted above the room's door. Let us know when things start to return. Miles was about to ask what the fuck was happening when a huge burst of memory flooded his thoughts, bringing it all back. His name was not Miles Freeman. It was Edmund Davis. He was neither an accountant nor a father. He did not live in Clay, New York. He lived in this unnamed facility ever since he had volunteered for the capsule project. I remember, he said bitterly. The grief of losing Brandon still heavy in his heart. Good, the original voice said. First, how real did it feel? Your life as Brandon's father. Your interactions with others. Your adopted history. All of it. Edmund clenched his jaw. <sighs> Very real. Elaborate, the voice replied with a hint of malice. Every iota of Edmund's being hated answering these questions. But if he didn't answer, he would risk returning to Mohawk Correctional, where beatings and rape were a daily occurrence. <sighs> it felt like my actual life. I was a single parent, a loving dad. And Brandon, you genuinely believed him to be your son? Tears leaked from Edmund's eyes, a new sensation for him, one he didn't like. Not believed, asshole. He was my son. In reality, Brandon had been his second dalliance. Excellent. And how does it feel now, after a little time has passed? Any fading of sensation? Edmund sneered. He considered lying, but lying, like refusing to answer, was useless here. They had proven that to him in the control phase of testing. <sighs> no fading. And how did it compare to your first session? The voice asked. The first time he had been Celia Blaylock, Teddy Blaylock's mother. Teddy was his first dalliance, the boy he'd killed in the barn with the bees. No, not the barn, the shed. The barn was the fantasy they had constructed in the first session. Realer, he said, more potent. Continue. The first session was more like a dream, Edmund replied. And I don't think I really accepted being a woman. This time was like a memory. Interesting. Anything feel off about this scenario? Edmund lowered his chin. Jacob. Jacob was taller in real life. In reality, Jacob Winslow had been his killing partner, not neighbor. Prior to his suicide at Sing Sing, he had stood six foot three. Anything else? The voice inquired. Edmund stared at the speaker. Yeah. What is it with the barn and the oil tank? It didn't actually happen that way. You never remember that, the voice said. It's the mousetrap. 
We aren't permitted to replicate the actual murders, so we need a mousetrap. And you're helping us to build a better one each time. Not permitted, Edmund said. So, all of this is legal? That's a malleable word, Mr. Davis, but yes. For what purpose? To torture people like me? You never remember this either, the voice replied, sounding amused. No. To offer a third option. Life sentence with no parole, execution, or the capsule. And you think this isn't cruel and unusual punishment? What will I even be after the sessions? A vegetable? Not for us to decide, and we shall see. A spark of anger set off a cascade of fury inside Edmund, nearly as powerful as the soul-crushing sorrow he felt. <sighs> you really think this capsule bullshit will be used this way? In America? Probably not. It's being tested for a myriad of uses besides what we're doing here. Any other questions or statements? Yeah, fuck you. Very well, Mr. Davis. You've had a long day. Twelve hours in the capsule. Get some rest tonight and we'll revisit how you're feeling tomorrow. The day after, we'll conduct session three, the Lopez child. Sound good? Edmund didn't respond. Splendid, the voice said. Also, it's adorable you think you're still in America. Not a second later, the same two large men from before entered the room and got Edmund prepped for transport. As they wheeled him into the hallway, Edmund thought about Jacob and how smart his old friend had been to go out on his own terms, as he had. No such terms existed for Edmund. Not here at this facility, not with all the controls they had in place. For him, there was only the capsule and the misery of dead children. How's that for a twist? That was The Capsule by W.B. Stickle. A good reminder what these meta-nerds are really up to. Also, remember to space your structural rebar at 12 inches on center. And when you're lapping bars, lap them at least 40 times the diameter of the bar for optimum strength. So, 4.8 rebar, mm, that's 20 inches. Also, a good diameter to impale someone, but that's neither here nor there. A little about the author. W.B. Stickle lives with his family in central New York. By day, he works for the Air Force doing geeky communication stuff. By night, he reads and writes as much as life allows. His short fiction has appeared in over a dozen magazines and anthologies, to include Sanitarium Magazine and the Lovecraft-inspired collection Whispers from the Abyss. His stories have also appeared as podcast episodes on Tales to Terrify, Nocturnal Transmissions, Horror Hill, and Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. We know those guys. He enjoys mountain climbing and traveling with his family, and he is deathly afraid of Teletubbies. God damn, so am I. Send your Teletubby pictures to facebook.com forward slash wbstickle. Thanks for the story, WB. I enjoyed the hell out of it. Hey, do me a favor, would you? Subscribe to this podcast wherever you do your listening and leave me a five-star review and maybe a kind word there. 
even if you're listening on YouTube. I need soldiers on all fronts to win this battle, and I appreciate it. To hear a premium ad-free edition of tonight's and all our other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of your screen. You'll find yourself at ChillinTalesForDarkNights.com, where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, including past episodes of this program, all our other shows, and hundreds of standalone releases, all of them ad-free and available to download or stream. Thank you for your time and for supporting our sponsors. When you support our sponsors, you support this show. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chillin' Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all our latest updates and new releases, and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You'll find me personally on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Stop on by, would you? I don't bite much. afraid this is where we part ways, at least till next week. So grab a drink for the road, friend, but watch your step out there. Literally, I mean. I think you're behind on your tetanus shots. Hey Drew, who are we telling to go fuck themselves this week? Did we miss anyone? How about that Texas proud guy? He's always saying hello. Oh, how about Mandizzle for Shizzle? Nice gal. If I didn't know any better, I'd say she thinks you're pretty nice too there, bub. Wonder what her credit score is. Jeff. Oh, wait a minute. I don't think I was supposed to... Oh, fuck it. <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. Yeah, I think we could do those too. And I'd like to add Miss Ashley Blair. So, here we go. Ashley Blair... Texas Proud and Mandizzle Fo Shizzle. May the wind be at your back. May the road rise up to meet you. And until next week, go fuck yourselves. <laughs> I'll see each and every one of you at the season two premiere next Thursday, y'all. Good night.